0: had planned, I'd have a a spreadsheet where I, I have all the Sundays for the year and the series that we go through and stuff, just to have an idea. And I usually am about three months out that I'll usually plan ahead. It's not rock solid, but it just gives me an idea. If we need to adjust something, we adjust. But I had Mary Slessor's name there for several months. Uh, but what what's cool about and unique about how the Lord does Unique things. The In the past few months, learned that Evan Vasilek is sensing a call toward North Africa. And also, Denny and Angelina Johnson, and Darien and Brianna, because they're praying along with their parents, they're also sensing a call to North Africa. And Mary Slessor was a missionary in Nigeria. More central, but well, it's Africa. So it's <laughs> North. But I. I'm glad to stir our hearts as a church for them, but also for this region, because there's been work going on in northern Africa for a long time, and it's, it's cool for us to get back stories and stuff. Mary Slessor was just a regular lady. There was nothing superior about her, her life or her upbringing, and many of us will be able to find identity in, in what she's walking out, but... Also, to think about why we do these biographical sketches is really to stir our hearts toward faith in God and obedience to His will, because that's what these missionary stories have. They stir in my heart. You know, you start talking to me about missionaries, I got some stories, and I enjoy the stories, and I'm thrilled to tell the stories. But for us, as you're listening, the, the main reason we do this is to stir our hearts. Remember, stir up one another to love and good deeds. Rehearsing the heroes of the faith is a great way to do that. So I I commend biography to you. Please just find somebody. If you need a recommendation, I'll give give you a bunch. I'll lend you some books even in that category. I've got uh, sitting on the shelf that I can can help you with. But Mary Slessor was born December 2nd, 1848 in Aberdeen, Scotland. She lived 67 years and died in Calabar. January 13th, 1915. So a life full lived. But her childhood, uh, childhood was just in, as was typical during that time, Uh, work was hard to come by for her father because he was an alcoholic and he couldn't keep a job down. And at one point he had gotten sober and Mary's mom said, we're going to move to Dundee Hopefully, your father will find a, a steady income in the factory, the, one of the factories that are in Dundee. Dundee was very industrial at the time, so they moved. The church moved and hopeful and full of faith, but didn't last very long because a few months after they were in Dundee, uh, Mary's dad found the bottle again, and it was just a wreck of a home life. She went to church every Sunday with her mother and her siblings and while she was in church her pastor would tell them stories of missionaries that were out in the field and she loved hearing the story about one david livingston who was in central africa going across he was going uh west to east trying to find the source of the nile river she was always intrigued by david livingston and wanted to find out more about him and and as Uh, They had little pamphlets that they would produce for the churches to tell everybody what was happening on the mission field. Her brother Robert, her older brother Robert, dreamed of being a missionary, and she hoped to be his assistant. But sadly, as you'll see, uh, Robert died while he was a teenager, and she suffered much tragedy as she watched siblings around her die for various reasons. One day she was walking with some friends. She was invited into an older lady's house who uh, noticed Mary from church. And as Mary and the ladies, the girls were sitting there, the lady was poking at a fire. Mary's around 12 years old at the time. She's poking at a fire uh, just to keep warm in there and and just turned in a moment turned the the conversation to, you know, if I took this and burned you with it, it would hurt really bad, wouldn't it? Mary kind of didn't know what to do. Like, what are we doing now? This lady was nice, and all of a sudden, she's really serious now. Well, she used that opportunity to tell Mary about the hell that awaited everybody that didn't repent of their sins and trust Christ for salvation and the reality that it hurts. She said, do you want to go to hell? Do you want to be rescued? She said, I want to be rescued. Anybody would say that. But in that moment, and uh, the lady, older lady Prayed with her to repent of her sins and helped her repent of her sins and trust Christ for salvation. But Mary knew. She she did it out of fear of going to hell, but she knew something in her heart was different. She left that lady's house with a difference in her heart, knowing, my life has changed. And as she continued to go to church and be excited about church and hear all the missions stories, because of her, her father's inability to keep a job, she had to go get a job at a local factory as what was called a piecer. She was 12 years old, and under these big looms that they were used for uh, weaving, she, all the, the younger girls would have to run underneath, and any, any thread that had dropped off the roller, she had to go and piece back together, tie back together, so they could continue weaving. Uh, It was said that Peacers ran about 20 miles a day. That's a lot. She was all right with that because part of the deal about hiring these young kids was that they worked half of the day and the second half of the day they got to go to school. She had never been to school before and she wanted to go to school. She wanted to learn to read. She wanted to learn to be able to read the missionary stories herself but more than that, she wanted to be able to read the Bible on her own. So she didn't mind the work. It was grueling. But she got to go to school for half the day. They were called half-timers. She loved school. While in Dundee, she was part of the Wishart Church. We have a picture of that. Oh. I'm going, this is Dundee, the slums. She lived in the slums. You want to go on, Tony? Yes, sir. It's the factory, that's the mill that she worked at. Here's the looms where she was running underneath those, and those picture of the half timers up on the right and if you go to the next one this is the church she attended that's her mother up at the top left this is the church that she attended uh it's still there today it's like a a women's clothing store now but it was a church and she loved going to church while she was there she volunteered to be a bible teacher in the one of the poorest sections of dundee they agreed to let her do this. About this time, she was late teens, early 20s. Uh, she, they said, we'll let you do this, but you have to promise never go to Queen Street without a chaperone. You have to, it's dangerous, and you need to have a chaperone with you. She said, okay. Well, one day in her excitement to get to class and get the, the room set up at their meeting, she went by herself. And sure enough, as she was walking, a few teenage boys came up to her Three of them, two of them held, one of them held each arm, and a third had a piece of metal, a razor-sharp metal and a a piece of string. And he was waving it back and forth in front of Mary to intimidate her. He wanted to scare her so she would never come back. And as he swung that metal back and forth, he was waiting for her to break and cry and scream, but she never did. She stared at him. And didn't move to the point that the, man, the boy swung that metal and it hit her forehead and cut her forehead. She didn't flinch. She didn't do anything. She just looked at him. The boy stopped. One of the other guys said, she's tough. And they all stopped. She wiped all the blood off of her forehead. And then she said, will you come, to me to, come with me to Bible class? It's going to be great. Have a great lesson. They all came. And the leader who was doing the string Repented of his sins And prayed to receive Christ in that class This moment Would set up for Mary Multiple encounters Where the ex- almost the exact same thing Happened She was a bold lady She was short She had fiery red hair And she wasn't backing down As she's continuing work Tragedy struck her home All within about six months Her father died, and then three of her siblings died. It left her with her mother and just two sisters, two younger sisters and herself. And around the time of their death, she learned that her missionary hero, David Livingston, had also died and was heading back to to Great Britain to be buried in Westminster Abbey. She recalled a quote from Livingston that caused her to question her own life. The quote was this, I don't care David Livingston said I don't care where we go as long as we go forward. That go forward caught Mary's attention. She was 27 years old and she was in the regular routine of life. She was she was working but also very productive by this time she was working three looms by herself. And the piecers running underneath, she wasn't doing that anymore. But she's she's making some money and she's doing the Bible class and things are going great. But she felt something in her heart that the Holy Spirit was saying, go forward. And she was questioning what could that be? She knew what it was eventually. Rather than be the assistant, because one of the siblings that died was her younger brother John, who also desired uh, Mary's mom loved telling them about the missionaries and wanted her sons to go be missionaries and Mary's desire was to go assist one of her brothers on the mission field. But in that moment, she realized, it's not my brothers who are supposed to go. I'm supposed to go. She was terrified to tell her mom. When she told her mom, she finally got up the courage. She had all this courage before these teenage boys. But when it came to her mom, she was really afraid. But then she told her mom, I think God's calling me to be a missionary. Her mom responded by saying, this is great. Just promise me you will write." Mary said, I'm not going yet. I have to do some things. But what a support from her, what a vision that her mom had for her life to be able to free her, and that's going to come back later in life as well. She didn't know where to go. She didn't know how to go about doing it. She had heard of a place called Calabar when she was uh, hearing about the missionary stories and reading the, the, the monitor, the report in the mission field that would come every so often to the church, she heard about a work going on in Calabar. And she, in her heart, really wanted to go to Calabar and felt that was where God, and Calabar is, we have a map, I think is next, oh, awesome, thank you. Uh, Calabar's right there, and the, the, where the, the coast comes horizontal. Calabar's right there. She wanted, uh, it's a, a little piece, of, it's now incorporated within Nigeria, but it was a little piece by itself back then. She applies to the mission group, the mission board. They say, well, really, we don't have any place for you to go except this place called Calabar. Would that be good for you? She said, that would be great, thank you. God was putting it all together. Many people told her that Calabar would be her death because it was known as the white man's grave. The harvest had been little over a lot of years, but Mary said, nope, it's a post of honor will go there. So she set sail on the SS Ethiopia on August 5th, 1876, 28 years old. Took five weeks to get down to Calabar, landed in Duketown and stayed at the mission house. She was great, grateful to be there, but the mission house was just European and they had to do a lot of European things while they were there. They, everybody that came in, Town was the, the, it was from all the trading ships came into that port, and they, any any European who showed up there, they had to host at the mission house. And so they had all these teas and luncheons and everything. And she just said, "This is just not what I came here to do." She wanted the adventure of going inland, where white people had never gone. See, back during that time, the white man never traveled more than two miles inland around the entire coast of Africa, the entire continent. One of the things David Livingston found as he went, because he was one of the first guys to go in, that's recorded, he he, he saw really the horror of the slave trade at that time. Because tribes, rival tribes would go and overtake another tribe and enslave them and then sell them to the white man at the coast. They'd bring all the, the slaves in the chains and everything to the coast, and that's where they would trade for usually alcohol. That's who they were trading these lives for. So she said, I want to go inland. That's my heart. That's my call. She wasn't given permission to go too far inland, but she, could, she was given permission to cross the river from Duketown to go to Creektown, where a King Io, who was a Christian and very supportive of Mary, she began working with villages around Creektown. Uh, one day as she was approaching a village a little farther inland, she noticed that all the children ran away from her she didn't know why that was happening until one of the people that she was with said, "Oh, they're saying your head is on fire." Because of her red hair, they had never seen that before, so they scurried as soon as they saw it. After 3 years, um Mary for it was her first bout with malaria. She got she had battled malaria several times during her stay there, but 3 years. She had made it for 3 years, got too sick had to go back to Scotland to recover. And while back home, she couldn't stop thinking about going inland more with the gospel. There were people there that needed to hear the name of Jesus. So she asked the mission board, and after her persistence, they approved. Boldness in her life shows up over and over and over again. She was restationed up a little uh, farther upriver, not too far inland, but upriver to Old Town where she spent most of her time treating medical issues of people that were there, and she would still visit the different villages that were near. But she would share the gospel with everybody. And she, every Sunday, had people come and sit around where she could read them the Bible and explain what was in the Bible. While in Old Town, uh, she learned the horrible practice of what was called twin killings. Twins were thought to be a sign of a curse on a family. And families uh, would kill the twins when they were born or leave them out just to to die, expose them to rid themselves of the curse. From Old uh, old Town, Mary went inland to a village called Ibaka to minister. And while she was there, she actually was invited by a, a chief to come be there to teach book. That was their term for schooling. And the first time she opened up uh, to, learn, to teach the children, the, the adults came. She had the, almost the entire village there to teach them. But the older folks learned, the adults were like, this is going to take too long. I'm not doing this. So she was able to instruct the kids. But during this, she saw a, a particular hut that was normally not occupied, was occupied, and the entire village was around it. It was called a Pavler hut. And this was their their tribal justice was carried out in the Pavler huts. The night before, a huge storm had blown through the village and two slave girls ran away from home. The girls were now standing trial. The chief ordered that each one of them, because they ran away, each one of them would receive a hundred lashes each. Mary knew that would kill them. So she boldly said, Recall the Pavler because I have something to say. She had just been there less than two weeks. And she's telling them to recall the Pavler. Mary told the men that they were wrong for the way they treated women. And after a bunch of yelling and arguing, the chief reduced the lashes to 10 each. Everyone was amazed that this white ma stood up to the chief then nursed the two ladies back to health. Mary had gotten sick again, needed to go back to Duketown to recover, and she was waiting. It would be a couple days before a canoe would come up to, to gather her, to bring her back to Duketown. And somebody told her of twins being born in a nearby village. Mary, it was, getting, it was getting dark, and not only were you could never tell what tribes were going to just kill at whatever point. That was, that was one fear. It was also the jungle, where you had snakes and leopards and all scurry of danger out there just from the animals that lived in the jungle. Without hesitation, Mary got up sick, ran to that village a couple miles, and just at that moment, she saw that they were about to complete the hole in the back of the house. They, they, not only were twins a curse, it was a it was double curse. If you took the twins out the front door, it would curse the house. So they would cut a hole in the back of the house and put the babies through that. So then somebody would take them and kill them or leave them in the jungle for the animals or, for, or exposure. Just as they were completing that hole to bring the babies through that, Mary runs into the house, yells and makes a commotion. Everybody's looking at her like this. She grabs the two babies, runs out. Now it's dark. She ran back through the jungle to her house and rescued the babies. That's some boldness. A few days later, everything, as, as is expected, is delayed in the jungle. She still is waiting for the canoe to come, and she had, it was a boy and a girl. Somebody came and convinced one of the ladies that was helping her uh, to let them see a particular baby. Happened to be the baby boy twin. It was a family member, and they took that boy and killed him on the spot. But Mary had the girl whom she named Janie. She had a sister named Janie. She named this girl Janie and kept her forever her daughter. Mary knew if she left Janie, she, she then discovered she was too sick just to recover in Duketown. She needed to go back to Scotland again. So she said, I'm bringing Janie. And they said, no, you can't do that. She said, I'm bringing Janie. So she brought Janie back to Scotland, introduced her to her mother, her sister Susan and Janie. And while she was Back in Scotland, she was raising not just a bunch of awareness, but a bunch of money for the mission field, having Janie because she was describing the story of how she even got her. While she was uh, back with her parents, she said, "We've got to." she's telling her mom and her sisters, we've got to move out of the slums. And by that time, the mother wasn't working in the mill anymore, but the sisters were. She said, we've got to pool money together. And Mary, for a long time, had been sending money back support her. She was living off the land, just like the people. She wasn't eating the European imported food that was expensive. She was just eating everything that was around her, just like the natives were. And she said, Mom, we've got to get you out. The, the girls have to be out. It's, it's just too, it's too bad here. And they figured out where to go do that. And they signed up where that could be. Uh, Mary moves her mom and her sister Janie out to the countryside but and they, it was close enough that they could still go to work, and Susan was left in Dundee to, figure, to tie up some loose ends. But in this, the course of a week or two, Susan ended up dying. So Mary is looking at this, and the heartache and the tragedy of that, to double that, Mary's mom and sister Janie contracted tuberculosis. So Mary was at that point saying, I can't go back to Calabar, I need to stay here. So she decided one day... I'm, I'm going to stay here. My heart is in Calabar. She began to call them her people. She said, I, I can't do that anymore. I've got I've to gotta stay here and care for my family. To which her mom said, no, you're not. You're going back. We have people here that can help us. You're going back. She said, okay. She traveled back to Calabar, and while she was on, while she was on the ship, during that week's travel on New Year's Day. Her mother died, and a few days later, Janie died. Now she was alone, but she knew God had something for her to accomplish and do. As they arrived back in Calabar, Janie was now three years old and had to be introduced. She didn't know life in Africa. She had to be introduced to where she was from. She she was being raised as a European. They settled back again in Creektown, but Mary still wanted to move inland, and she wanted to go to the Akoyong people, and, and to a city, she got permission to go to a city, a little village called Akenj, where she would, she got permission from the chief to teach book to the children. And while she was there, she's setting up a hut, nobody's paying attention to her, but one boy came over and was just helping her out for a few days, just helping get things set up and the hut ready to go. And uh, after, there was one day the boy didn't show up and she uh, later on heard some commotion at the Pavler hut because every village had a Pavler hut. She goes over to the Pavler hut to see what's going on and she sees the boy tied up, the boy who had been helping her. He was being punished for helping her And they were about to pour boiling hot palm oil on him, which they did. And Mary got him and nursed him back to health. Mary had become one of the natives of the people because she spoke their language fluently. They would come see this white, red-haired lady who spoke their language just like they did. She also didn't wear shoes. When she first got to, to one of the inland villages, her feet she took her shoes off to uh, to let them rest, and it was rainy and trying to get there, it was miserable. She took her shoes off, her feet began swelling to where she could never put her shoes back on. So she just didn't wear shoes, which made her like the people that she was serving, and her feet were were as tough as leather, it was said. One day in a kenj, Mary heard the commotion again of the pavilor hut. She went and saw a woman tied up and a warrior dressed in jaguar skin dancing around her with a a cup of boiling oil. He was about to pour it on uh, this woman who was tied up, and the village is chanting and yelling and cheering for it. Mary, just like in Dundee, ran and stood between the woman and the warrior. And the warrior, everybody was kind of shocked for a second, he then begins to swing the boiling oil at Mary and got to the point that if he went any farther, he would have scalded her. But then he stopped. He put it down, yelled something, and walked off. So where the city was, the village rather, was in amazement. You just stood up to a warrior. She was about five feet tall, standing up to people who were, were killers, but every time she did this, they were amazed at the type of woman she was. There was something particular or peculiar about her. See, the uh, uh, Okoyong people had a concept of an all-powerful, all-knowing creator, but they thought that he wanted them to do cruel things. Mary was teaching them that that same God who was all-powerful and all-knowing was also kind and good. They were introduced to an all-powerful God who was also interested in children and slaves. For all of this, Mary picked up a name from the people, Mother of Us All. The high, high praise for the work that she was doing. The chief of Akenj always praised promised Mary to, to build her a, a hut to live in but also a dispensary for, to treat medical issues because she was constantly doing that as well as a school that would be there and it would, just never came about. It was never, it was never building season, he said. It's not building season. It's not building season. All of a sudden one day, he said it's building season and men from the village came out and they built these three huts around to, to give her where she would work before that, he had, she had been staying in a hut on his land. As they're building and she's going about her day's work, she hears uh, people approaching in the jungle, and it wasn't the epic language that she was normally hearing as people approached. She actually heard English, but a Scottish accent, which is very familiar for her. A man named Charles Ovens shows up. He had come to help her because she found out, he found out that she needed some help. He, in Scotland, was hearing stories of Mary, and he said, I want to go help her. So he built her a two-story mission house on the same plot of land that the chief had given her. They would have a... Uh, when somebody died in one of the villages, it was usually just a, a, a drunken party for a week. And when Mary invited everybody to the house when it was finished, Everybody was going upstairs. They hadn't hadn't been that high in a building before. And they're looking over the balcony, and they didn't know what to do, but they stayed there for hours happy. And Mary pointed out to them, and I was also wondering how many of them understood that they were happy without alcohol. It really was joy that they were experiencing. Mary was, was being used to do phenomenal things in the region. She taught the value of trading for things other than alcohol, uh, they were thinking differently about cruel customs. They were thinking differently about the superstitions that they had known for centuries. She was now 48 years old, and she, do, she had done more than anyone, including herself, could have imagined. But that wasn't over. She was so effective that the government came to her, the, the British... Uh, had come into that region and said, we want to actually set up, they were in agreement with the French and the Germans about the the whole region of Nigeria to figure out who would control what trading purposes. The British come in and say, we've got Calabar. And Sir Claude MacDonald came and asked Mary for a visit. Mary visited him and said, I would like you to be vice consul for the region. You'll be sitting judge for everybody's disputes. She said, I don't want to do that. I'm not gifted to do that. I don't want to do that. I want to continue to do what I'm doing. He said, okay, but this is what it will mean. I'll send back to England and tell them we don't have anybody, and they're going to bring some young white person who doesn't understand the language and doesn't understand the customs and the people who will then be deciding everything for them. Mary said, I'll do it. Finally agreed to do it, and she had a unique way of ruling in the region during this time. She would typically sit uh, at a a table or under a tree and knit. She would knit, and as she, she was knitting, and one side, she'd say, Okay, give me your case. And then she'd say, Okay, now give me your case, opposing side. And she would let them go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Sometimes for 36 hours arguing back and forth, back and forth. But she learned to let people exhaust themselves with their arguments so they'd be ready to hear what she had to say. How often, what a, what a life lesson for us. I, I apply that in my own counseling, my pastoral counseling when I meet with people. I just let them talk, and, and themes begin to pop up, and same argument, different, different scenario, but same argument, and I'll just wait and wait and at some point, people will just kind of stop and look at me, and I know. All right, you've talked yourself out. You can't figure out another way to argue that point. Now let's talk. Now let's try to figure out. Because if you try to go in too fast, then it's like, well, Pastor, you don't understand. You just don't understand. It's like, no, just keep on talking. Just keep talking. All right, I don't understand. Help me. Help me understand. I learned that from Mary. It's been vital. It's been hugely helpful in my own personal life with all the work that she was doing she felt drawn farther inland still she wanted to go north to the Aro people who were cannibals of the region she always wanted to go forward she wanted more people to hear the name of Jesus she she got permission in 1903 to establish a mission house in Akpap taught book to the natives while sharing the love and message of Jesus It lasted all the way to 1915 where Mary became ill but she knew this time it was different. Janie knew it was different. The other people that she was raising she had other adopted children. They all knew it was different and after a a restless night she woke and said a prayer in ethic. She said, God, heal my pain. Shortly thereafter she died at 67 years old. Mary went forward in boldness, in obedience, sacrifice for Jesus. The passage that sticks out to me as I, I think about her life is Philippians 3, 12 to 14. Not that I have already obtained this or already am, am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do... Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So church, are you going forward in your Christian life? There is no going. There's no, stat, there's no uh, um, staying put. We think we're just kind of stale. But that's, our affections don't let us do that. Our affections either are toward God or toward something else. Our affections are not neutral. When we're convinced that our affections are neutral, it's because we're loving ourselves too much. We're loving our comfort, loving our control, loving our attempts at peace and security. We want those things, and so we sacrifice to get those. Rather than deny ourselves, take up our cross daily and follow Jesus. Going forward in our Christian life, In in whatever category that is, are you too hampered by the past? So when the past comes knocking, it inhibits and paralyzes? Or are we looking, Lord, I I want to be effective going forward? Because that's what God calls us to. Forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead. Why? Because Jesus pressed on and he went forward to the cross. Through death to be resurrected for us. He went forward so we could follow in his steps. And in our sphere of influence, wherever that is, God is calling us to make a fruitful difference. Now we make that we make that fruitful difference by being faithful in where he has us. But that faith is an act of faith. We look towards something, we trust God for something, and we keep on going. So if you're if you're plagued by drudgery, if you're plagued. By the mundane, hear, hear the Spirit say, Keep going. Go forward. Go forward. And as we honor Him, we enjoy and we receive the joy that He has in our obedience. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the stories that help us give perspective on our lives to make us understand that. There's just something more we're to live for. We can can never really sacrifice enough. And Lord, I thank you that when we do sacrifice for you, it's it's not what we fear. It's not taxing and miserable. But it's your joy that we experience when we obey you. And we sacrifice and obey to experience your joy. Lord, I pray that you would give us understanding of how we need to press on. What's the category that you would put in front of us to say press on? Press on in faith and trust you with the fruitfulness. Stir us, Lord. Stir us to love and good deeds. Stir us to mission. Stir us for your glory.